Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Gym Class All-Stars. I am fired up today for whatever reason. I don't know if it's football. I don't know if it's just the way the weather is, but like I am very intense and I am probably intimidating Robbie right now, but we're going to keep going. Yeah, used to it. College football. Last episode, we talked all about NFL just in time, right before the college football final. And lo and behold, I have to backtrack on everything I've said on Twitter, all of my conspiracy theories, because Alabama absolutely blew the brakes off of Ohio State. They were too much. Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, and uh, Najee Harris just were an ungodly trio against Ohio State. And Alabama's defense filled in all the other gaps. Justin Fields looked okay. Other than that, 56-24 type win, absolute blowouts. And, um, you know, it seems like Justin Fields, and you can chime in if you think I'm wrong, won't be drafted number one overall. No, just despite what we're going to get to later and the uh, the factors that may aid in the idea of him going number one overall, I think Trevor Lawrence has pretty much solidified that. Uh, the Jaguar is obviously in need of a quarterback regardless. You know, he's, he's a knock-out-of-the-park pick, and where I do think Fields could have a lot of success in the NFL, he's a little less of a certainty when it comes to that number one overall pick. So even, even with the new hire in Jacksonville, I think we'll see Trevor Lawrence go number one overall. Um, but I wouldn't be necessarily surprised if Fields does end up being the second quarterback taken. You know, we got Mac Jones and there's, there's some other names on the list, but um, you know, that, that they, Ohio State got steamrolled. There, there's no other way about it. They got handled. And I mean, I mean, Alabama every year is the clear top, top, top tier favorite. Um, and when you have the Heisman winner in Devonta Smith, you have maybe the best running back in college football, Najee Harris, and then a superstar talent quarterback in Mac Jones. I mean, 56 points felt like the base that this team could score. So, you know, shout out to Bama. Nobody really likes seeing them win, but I don't like seeing Ohio State win any more than that. So, um, but as in terms of the number one overall pick, I think Fields would have needed to go absolutely absurd to really solidify himself. And, you know, that's pretty far-fetched against Alabama. So a fun game for at least the first half, but not too much after that. Yeah, and people can argue till they're blue in the face that maybe Clemson would have been a better matchup for Alabama. But if they can't even beat Ohio State, who in exactly. turn got steamrolled, like, screw that. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no. Ohio State's the team that earned being in that game despite getting killed. They're the ones who, who should have been playing. The idea of Clemson being there is, is an invalid argument. Exactly. And to all my Clemson supporters who watch this podcast, you can politely suck it because you guys don't deserve to be in there. And um, just, yeah, just a little bit of residue, you know, a little bit of resi- 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 uh, residual spite. I say there's someone else from Clemson that he wanted to suck. All up right. We've, we've, time. we've done this. <laughs> it's been Watch last week's episode, podcast cinematic universe, two episodes ago. <laughs> so uh, college football now over um, season's going to be, you know, it's going to be a little while. We'll see. Hopefully we, we won't have a pandemic laced season anymore. We got to talk about too the people have declared. So Trevor Lawrence declared for the draft, you know, unsurprisingly, there are a few names in there that, you know, superstars who have not declared yet. You got Justin Fields hasn't technically declared yet. I'm assuming he will. But the big one right now, at least I may have missed it, but I have not heard anything. Devontae Smith, the Heisman <laughs> winner, hasn't said if he's going to leave. So that's intriguing. Do you think he'll come back if I'm horribly wrong? Hmm. Well, I mean, so the only entice, well, here, here's the deal. He's in this situation where he won a national championship. He won the Heisman. So the question becomes, what more can you accomplish? 
That answer is his draft stock. I personally have not looked into too many mock drafts, so I don't know where he's being rated on when he should be drafted. But if it's lower than he thinks he could get, if, if it's less money, guaranteed money than he believes he's going to deserve, then I would absolutely wait another year. I would absolutely play another year in college. You know, there's always a lot of question marks about injuries and now with the pandemic and such. But, you know, if you were able to accomplish this much and your draft stock isn't where you want it to be, the only option would be to go back to school. That being said, he is the best wide receiver in the draft class, no matter what draft class he's in. A team like the Eagles, a team like the Colts. There's a lot of teams that are weak at receiver that could really use a guy like him. I, if I was him, I declare, you know, no matter where you're going to get drafted, you're going to be a top tier talent. You're going to be a team's top option, second option at worst. And going back to cause the risk of injury or, or having that success is so little. I mean, we saw Matt Barkley the one year would have been the number one overall pick opts to go back to college and is a bust backup quarterback. Now he didn't get drafted in the first round. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of big question marks, but when your stock is at an all time high, you got to at least consider cashing in. And that, that's where Smith has to be at right now. Yeah. I tend to believe he's a top 10 pick easily. A lot of people have him following number three to the dolphins who have the Texans pick. There is not much higher than you can go, especially after winning the Heisman, you want a national championship. You have done basically everything a college football player could dream of doing and you could, okay. You could make marginally more money if you somehow get picked number one or number two overall the following year. But that's a lot of risk for, in my opinion, pretty minimal reward. I guess I would, you know, definitely declare unless you're really hell bent on getting your degree, nothing wrong with that, but I think financially definitely go for it. I did look Najee Harris also has not declared, but he Seems like a first-round pick. Uh, I guess your thoughts, he potentially is slated to fall to the Steelers in the first round? Hey, man, I am a big fan of that. The Steelers, well, Steelers have a lot of work to do. You know, we saw that that terrible playoff performance, and we don't need to rehash that. But, um, you know, a big thing was the fact that the Steelers were the worst running team in football. That's not just the running back, but it is part of it. And if the Steelers are able to get a top talent like him, you know, I love James Conner, Pittsburgh guy, battled cancer, made it through. But at the end of the day, he is only an average at best starting running back. Najee Harris has the potential to, I mean, just body type looks like, like a smaller Derrick Henry. And that's a scary, scary thought. So I love that concept. You know, the offensive line needs some work. We fired our O-line coach. But uh, Najee Harris, if he declares he comes to the Steelers, man, that, that, that'd make for one very happy, Robbie. I think it's just wild going back to Derrick Henry that he's taller than me. He's 6'3". Like, I'm not saying, like, running backs are small by any means, but six foot three, especially in the NFL, is gigantic, unless you're a QB. Yeah, no, that's – he's going to bulldoze people. Well, we will keep you all posted if these top-tier talented players decide to declare or opt in to one more year at college, two more, you know, a few more years. They're all eligible for however long they really want to be. Um, but uh, that's what we got for college football. Season now over, heading into off-season mode. Coach is going to start recruiting and all that fun stuff. So moving along, plenty more sports to talk about. We got a lot of rumbling in the NBA. Uh, the big news was the trade that we're going to get to in, in a little while. I have some choice opinions about that. Um, but I want to start with a player who we slander quite a lot on this podcast. You do. I don't. Fine. That's fair. But I am always willing to accept when I'm wrong, despite 
what last week might have sounded like. Um, and that is Paul George. Paul George has come back with a vengeance. And he even said that uh, in an interview that he is ready. He he understands what he like the part he played in their lack of success in the bubble last year. And to his credit, he has come out of the gate scorching hot. The the Clippers have, you know, you can tell what some of the the kinks in their in their system is right now, but he is playing fantastic basketball. He is maybe not playing to the quality of that one MVP-esque year, but he is playing some of, if not his best basketball. He is starting to take over the role as a leader, which is another big thing. Is, is Paul George hasn't really truly felt like the leader of a team since his Indiana days. And now, you know, especially with Kawhi, you know, you never know if he's going to play back-to-backs. He's missing time with the, you know, he got hit in the face, stuff like that. If Paul George is consistently on the court, he's making his shots. He's a guy these young guys are going to look up to. The role players are going to look up to. And that's how you build that togetherness that you need, that you saw the Lakers have, you saw the Heat have, that you saw the Clippers severely lacking in the playoffs last year. Um, so the resurgence of Paul George, you know, I slander him. What are your thoughts so far on the uh, the early hot streak of the, the Clippers superstar? I actually thought you were going to talk about the beard. So I would like to retract that statement. I also have slandered Paul George in the past. But no, he really has come into his own, and I've been feels like I've been preaching to the choir. But this Clippers team is a scary team when they are running on all cylinders. I know they blew a three-one lead, and I know we all like to shit on them, but they are scary when they are hot. And I will say this once, and I will say it time and time again: if the Clippers are hot and they run to the Lakers in the playoffs, I truly firmly believe they will beat the Lakers in the seven game series. If they are high, if they have pandemic P okay. Yeah, they won't win. But if Kawhi and Paul George are playing exceptionally good, they will win. No problem. Yeah. No, that that's the thing is when you have two dynamic stars like that, their their ceiling is the limit to your team. And if they're showing no signs of a ceiling, it's a very good sign for the Clippers. They brought in some nice pieces. Um, Abaka brought back Beverly uh, brought in Nick Batum, who a lot of people thought like, oh, this is kind of a nothing signing, but he's actually played pretty solid basketball for them around, around 28, 29 minutes a game, somewhere along the lines of 10, four and three, you know, solid numbers. And he, and he's shooting the ball very well, which is important for them. Um, a good team, a veteran team looking to make a lot of noise, a lot more noise than they did last year in the playoffs, obviously early season, but they're Clippers and Paul George looking good so far. So we talk about that having being kind of a resurgence for Paul George. Now we're going to talk about a player who is returning for his first time since the bubble. That is the Mavericks star big man, Kristaps Porzingis, uh, made his return to action this past week. Um, he's on, I think, a minute restriction to about 29 to 30 minutes, but either way, had a double-double against the Bucks last night or two nights ago, whenever it was. And he's, look, he's looking good. He's looking like he's going to need to you know, get his feet under him a little bit. But other than that, he's looking like he's going to return to the Kristaps that we're used to. You know, we, we talk a lot about Kristaps and the Mavericks, about how there's injury concerns, about how good are he and Luka really when it comes down to winning games. And that's really the question now is like this team has to be thinking about championship aspirations. Is the duo of Luka and Kristaps ever going to be enough to win a championship? I don't think so because I think Porzingis is too injury prone. I'm very surprised he's back. I'm glad he's back because it makes the Mavs team a lot more interesting. There's like, I've, said this a million times before, they're still missing a piece if Chris stops is healthy. And yeah. right now it's, there's a lack of that third star. And I don't think Porzingis is fully healed yet. So as of now, no, I mean, Lucas still is playing super awesome basketball, which is great to see, but not yet. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, I think they made some nice moves in the offseason, you know, trying to acquire defensive pieces, especially on the perimeter. But I've never fully bought into the idea of Chris Stapps as a superstar. And I think everyone's slowly starting to realize that, especially as the injuries start to pile up. Um, but either way, it's always good to see him back on the court. We, you know, hate injuries here. Uh, so happy to see him back and, and playing decent basketball. But I, I agree with you. Luca is going to, I think Chris Stapps could be the third piece, but like he's the True. Chris Bosch of the, of the big three. You know, he's the, he's the one that, only really matters if the other ones aren't doing their normal business. Kristaps doesn't quite take over games the way Luca can. So you got to have the other guy that is able to take over in certain ways. And Kristaps being a big man, it's a little tougher because he can't handle the ball as much. He can't run the offense on his own. But again, good to see him back. Mavericks closer to full strength. You know, every team, we're just going to go right into this. Every team is struggling with COVID right now. Um, spikes the season has not decided or excuse me the NBA has not decided to suspend the season but some teams are being told they're not going to be playing certain games I believe um, Washington was just told they're not playing till the 20th as well as Cleveland had two games against Washington canceled so uh, COVID is going to uh, again going to play such a large impact on this season but like what, what do you make of this idea of kind of almost forcing teams to play with the roster that isn't really their roster. It's just the bare minimal scrappings they can put together. I like it. Uh, to any NBA GMs listening, uh, my phone is open. If you hit me up, I honestly, if you, any team hit me up, no matter where they were in the United States, I would probably take the first plane over there, even with COVID. So and, no Raptors. <laughs> well, they're in, are they in Tampa Bay? Oh, they're in Tampa. You're right. You're oh, right. That's, that's a nice trip to Disney world. Basically. I know Tampa is not in Orlando, but still like, it's, I mean, it's scary with all the travel restrictions, but like I, I, I do it. Oh yeah. No. Well, you know, they're talking about, so the NBA is talking about adding a third two-way contract to add up to 18 total roster spots for the NBA as, you know, kind of compensation for having players missing all this time because of COVID, you know, all I'm saying is our, our lines are open. We have some good numbers, some good tape, actually no tape whatsoever, I don't think but some good memories that we can tell you about how dominant we were during our, our high school tear of a six, three and two recreational season. You know, this man averaging 14 and 12, I'm over here upwards of 15 points per game. Nobody's calling us. What's going on, bro. We're going to sound like LeVar ball talking to NBA execs. And I don't <laughs> like that. I will say though, and Jamal Crawford, I think is the one who tweeted out about this. And this makes a ton of sense. Like, yeah. Open up those roster spots. Let people from the G league play. I like, okay. I know it's tough and I get this idea of, you don't want to intermingle people and have contacts and all that, but still like either cancel the games or just let like G league players play. Don't let them play like seven handed, let them play maybe 10, let some G league guys play. And I really do think that this time, while it's very scary and, you know, health and safety are definitely an issue. It's a great time for unknown players or people who are kind of diamonds in the rough to really flourish. Yeah, no. And then there's those, you mentioned diamonds in the rough. There's one G league signing that was, you know, a little bit talked about when it happened, but you know, it's a G league signing only means so much, but if they're able to elevate a G league contract into a two way, the Golden State Warriors signed Jeremy Lin in the offseason. Jeremy Lin has won an NBA championship. Jeremy Lin, for about a week and a half, was a superstar. That's a very good player that if the Warriors ever, you know, Curry goes down with the virus or, or Brad Wanamaker, their backup, goes down, Jeremy Lin is a sensational point guard to pull up. And if they're able to just do that without any financial restrictions, that could be some compensation for the fact that 
maybe Steph Curry does miss those two weeks because of COVID or something like that. So I really like this move from the NBA. I just think they need to make sure that they really solidify this and get it done soon if they're planning on doing it for this season. Yeah, I mean, they have people like Lance Stevenson and Michael Beasley, I believe, were in the G League draft. I don't know if they actually got picked, but I mean, guys like Admiral Schofield, <laughs> draft number one overall in the G League uh, draft. Also, I will say that Admiral, I think you're playing the wrong sport. I would highly recommend playing hockey or football because it's a pretty badass like football or hockey name. I hope I hope you're as much of a floor general as your name suggests, but you know, we'll, we'll 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 see. I wouldn't look into it too much. I probably wouldn't either. I'll probably be disappointed. So cool though, to go number one overall in the G League draft. Now hold on, I'm gonna find him on Twitter. I'm gonna message him right now to come on our show. That'd be fantastic. I'm going hey, to man. find. I'm going Admiral to find Schofield. I'll say this: I know he was went to Tennessee. He actually beat Iowa in the second round of the tournament. The last time we had a tournament. Uh, he was the second best player on that team to, to Boston Celtics, Grant Williams. He's a solid player, but you know, he's just, it's been a little slow running in the NBA. He was on the end of the wizards bench. He hasn't done too, too much, but Hey, let's go for it. Let's, let's shoot our shot, man. All right. Miss all the shots you don't take. Yo, at Admiral Schofield. I believe it's Schofield. Schofield. Sorry. Gotta Good start. I hope right he doesn't now. listen to this episode. Exactly. Next episode. Next episode. <laughs> Come on our <laughs> podcast question mark. We'll bring you cookies. This is actually exactly how we handle these types of things. You know, you can ask at Jennings, you can ask all the other superstars that we've mentioned and don't respond to us. So, all right, <laughs> no, here's I'm, the tweet. I'm just messing, but uh, yo, Admiral um, Elite, wanna come on our show? We're really, we're really pushing for this, guys. You can tell how passionate we are about this, and that's the important. We stuff. have cookies, and then I put like the, the cookie emoji. <laughs> I'm just I'm, concerned for the moment when he comes on. He goes, "Yo, I thought y'all had cookies." I'll, dude, I'll <laughs> I'll send this man a dozen cookies, and I'll make them myself. Admiral Schofield, you come to Iowa, you eat free at Heirloom. I'll say that right now. If I get so much as a like I from this man, I will be shocked. But also, <laughs> I feel like this is the way. Every episode from now on, whoever I mention, some random player, I will be tweeting at them, asking them to come on the pod. I would love, I love to have him on. I would too. I think we'd have a great conversation with that man. Either way, COVID's going to impact, so someone like Schofield could end up being brought up in, back into the NBA. We shall see. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the NBA report, we have one kind of massive thing to talk about, and that was the blockbuster four-team trade that sent James Harden from Houston to Brooklyn. So I want to start with the lesser of the two parts of the trade. So first off, Indiana received a second round draft pick, and also Karis LeVert. Um, the big thing for Indiana was they lost Victor Oladipo. We'll get to that. The thing I want to mention with LeVert is after this trade was processed and accepted, something was found on his lung. He is out indefinitely. This was a young guy who was finally going to get his true chance to really be the key cog on a team. Now his future is in question. It's very upsetting to see, but he has also been one of these players that throughout his time at Michigan and his start in his NBA career has dealt with injuries. This is one of those that maybe wasn't something he could have even known was happening until he got traded and got that, you know, physical, but very, very unfortunate to see because a very young promising player, Karis LeVert is on a, on a team like Indiana that thrives with its young talent. Unfortunate to see, um, but that was their involvement in the trade. The other uh, lesser known team was Cleveland. So the big part of the trade was James Harden for a bunch of picks. Um, but Brooklyn didn't have the amount of picks that Houston required. 
So they call, so, so Brooklyn calls Cleveland. They go, yo, you give me some 2024 Milwaukee pick. We'll give you Jarrett Allen. And I have to assume Cleveland's response was, are you serious? Cause yes, Jared Allen, very great center. And it's going to open up a lot of opportunities for them because he signed long-term meaning the big one-year contract of Andre Drummond can now essentially be flipped if they would like for whatever they would like or whatever they can get for him. Young team like Cleveland. That's awesome. You can move Kevin Love also now too. You have a lot of big men on that team and you don't need the older ones if you're a rebuilding squad. Well, I would like to say they can now run the infamous five-man big lineup and practically pass the ball over people's heads. Bond yes. Maker at the point! Exactly. They can do so much with it. Point guards are obsolete. Big men are the way of the future. You heard this it is here. a big man talking to a point guard right now, so know that. <laughs> big men have always been the way basketball should be played. Everyone knows that. Screw all this. This flashy three-point shooting crap. I want my big men. <laughs> Says the kid who can't play flashier, flashier shoot three-pointers. But you know, I can I believe me now. I can shoot so much better than you. I I, I don't even doubt that. That was my big <laughs> knock because I couldn't shoot for shit back in high school. So. I had to, in the depths of Taylor Gym at Lehigh University, I had to learn how to handle the ball and shoot because no one could do that properly. I remember all the stories being, being hearing yep. Alex's transformation into a point guard through his rec days at college. And it hurt me because the second I realized he was a point guard, it was when I realized he has no question better than me at basketball. But. I, I, I learned how to do the James Harden, not the, it's the step back shot where you put it behind your back and shoot. Oh, that's just, I learned how to do that from like mid range and it's quite filthy if you can pull it off. One of the one of these times we're just gonna have to have a visual episode where it's just you and me playing one on one, but the only thing we're allowed to do is the moves we've learned since the last time we played each other. <laughs> oh boy, I learned how to do the, the, the you know you see the clip of Tyler Tyler <laughs> Tyler Harrow, he does he dribbles dribbles spins and does the shot like Chris Paul. Of course, I couldn't learn how to do that. I'll be honest, I tried. Oof. It's pretty hard. <laughs> I uh I learned how to do a, a euro step without traveling. You want to know how? Uh, dribble. No, they added the gather step. Ah, yes. <laughs> Who can forget? All right. Trying to stay on topic here, though. So that, that was the Cavs and the Pacers portion of the trade. The, the crux of the trade, obviously, was between Houston and Brooklyn. So uh, the piece that Houston got from Indiana was that they got Victor Oladipo. That was the money aspect for them. Then it was Harden goes to Brooklyn. Brooklyn sends the pick from Cleveland plus three of their own first-round picks. All of them swap best to Houston. They also gave up, um, what was it? Dante Exum ended up going from Cleveland to yep. uh, Houston. Rodion's Kuruch, and there's one player on Brooklyn. Well, Karis totally Oh, it was Karis Levert. It was initially traded to Houston, then Houston flipped him to Indiana for uh, Victor Oladipo. So that's where we're at right now. I am about to go nuts about this. So beforehand, I'm going to ask if you have any uh, opinions about this. My, my, my going nuts is essentially going to be on the Brooklyn Nets. So um, I just want to ask you about your uh, reviews for this trade before I dig in here. Well, uh, I think yeah, it was a lot of picks and you lose some of your depth, which Brooklyn was highly touted for this year. But you get a top 10 player in James Harden. And yeah, you can effectively run the table in the East, even if Kyrie decides to retire. Yeah, no, it's true. It's the plus sides of this trade for Brooklyn can be flashy and really exciting. I want to shut start off. by saying, I think. No, shut up. Come on. Flashy. You get a top 10 player for like six picks that like, well, okay, whatever. And you trade Dante Exum. You lose Karis Levert, which sucks, but. Eh. Stop. Right. You know, stop. I'll you, mince my words. 
you know my feelings about this. Like I was going to say, Cleveland and Indiana, well, at least before Karis LeVert's injury was revealed, were the clear winners to me in this. And, and I'm going to start by saying it's because – when you're trading for a superstar, you kind of have to know that you're giving up a lot. You're almost, you almost have to be aware that you are essentially losing the trade long-term because there's the potential of injury, the player leaving, but the picks you're giving up are going to be on that other team, no matter what you do. So that, that was the first drawback for me. And I want to start <laughs> by saying that not only did, did Brooklyn give up too much for Harden, but it was started by Milwaukee giving up too much for Drew Holiday. Three, three picks for Drew Holiday was too much. Four picks for James Harden was too much. I, I see you want to cut me off here, so, so go ahead real quick. Well, I mean, on the flip side of it, did you hear what the Sixers had to offer for James Harden? I did. I saw all the other offers, and they were all worse than what ended up going down. No, so, so, stop. Listen, okay, hear, hear me out here. Stop. Philadelphia would have had to give up Simmons, Plus one of their young no, no, studs. No, 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 no. That was not the offer. It was Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thybul, and three first round picks. Exactly. That's terrible. Ooh, that's yeah. an awful trade for yes. for, for okay. Philly. That's a terrible trade. Yes. That's okay. not at all worth it. Okay. Same deal with Boston. Same deal with Miami. Boston, oh, the offer oh, oh, they were oh, asking for. Okay. Philly, Philly had okay. the worst trade. Let me say that. Okay, Philly, okay, Philly's okay. was the f- most far off one. Hold on time out for a sec. I thought you meant that the Nets trade was. Like the like oh. screwed the nets over the most. My apologies. No, no, no. I did not mean to flip out. My apologies. I You're good. Let me down, let me rephrase so this is clear because okay. I'm getting heated right now. Okay. You are right I personally face. believe the by far loser of this trade was the team that got James Harden. It was the Brooklyn Nets. Now uh, I'm going to continue to elaborate okay. here. Okay. It was more than just how much they had, they, you know, they gave up a lot. Four picks for any individual player is a lot. Then you're asking for four picks for a player who hasn't made the NBA finals since the last time he was with James Harden. So that's a plus and a minus. Then we go into the actual individual player that was traded for. And, and you know, if, you, if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you very much understand how little I appreciate James Harden. I want to, I, I do understand he is a star, superstar caliber offensive player, but I have to get these points across is a hostile takeover. My opinion is all that's going to be said for the next two, two to three minutes. This is no longer a podcast. It is a Robcast. Shout out, Ms. Spencer. Now, there are three points I want to get to here. He's got the shades on. He ain't having this. Number one is that James Harden is a bad leader, both on and off the court. On the court, he is good at facilitating and, and actually playing basketball. But in the terms of team success, He does very little. He's an individual-based player. He moves the ball, but it's all about him. If he's not the one giving it to the guy who's scoring, they might not actually be scoring that play. Off the court is a whole other issue. He goes to parties. He's ignoring COVID safety protocols. He's clearly not in as good of shape as he is supposed to be for being an NBA basketball player. Those three things, coupled with the fact that you already know James Harden is kind of a diva, It is a bad recipe to start with. Point one is that James Harden is a bad leader. Point two is that he does not actually, he is a superstar that does not actually make the players around him better. He can elevate your playing because he can get you the ball in the correct position, you know, shooter's pocket, lead you into into a layup, stuff like that. But you you see it with LeBron James, with Chris Paul, the really good veteran players that they just can elevate the abilities of these players, they're, they're, they're not just telling you where you need to be. They are just like assuming you know what to do. And if you don't, you're going to be taken off the court. They, they demand a certain amount of excellence. Harden demands nothing from anybody except himself. And he doesn't demand as much out of himself as he should. We know that because he doesn't play defense from possession to possession. Finally, this is the one that really gets me. James Harden is not 
as good of a three-point shooter as everybody thinks he is. James Harden is a slightly above league average three-point shooter. He's a below 40% three-point shooter. I by no means am saying James Harden is a bad shooter. You know, Luca's having a bad year, but I wouldn't even say Luca's a bad shooter. But Harden is not an elite shooter. He just has certain moves on the perimeter that he makes more often than other people do. That is something to his credit. But the fact that he has games where he's five of 15, five of 17, six of 25, you know, those aren't superstars. The, the reason we struggled so much for a long time to call Damian Lillard a superstar was because he struggled with his consistency. James Harden obviously does more statistically, but he is way worse of a leader than someone like Lillard. He now has not been able to fix his consistency issues. You couple these things with the fact that he doesn't elevate the quality of player. He is not a good leader, both on and off the courts, and he does nothing for your player development. Four draft picks, three young players, moving Jarrett Allen from your team when he was clearly the better of the two center options you had. I hate James Harden, but I was trying really, really hard to appreciate this. But even just watching his first game against Orlando, it just, I can't do it. I don't believe he's capable of rising to the next level. I don't believe we will ever be calling James Harden an an NBA champion. And we're going to get to how this is going to impact Durant in a little while here, but I don't know. There's, there's too much there. Kyrie Harden Durant to me sounds more like a recipe for disaster than a recipe for success. Thank you for coming to my Rob talk. I don't disagree with that last point of them. You know, that could be a recipe for disaster. And I, in fact, I could hundred percent see it blowing up, but uh, just remember all those points you made when we talk about Kevin Durant a little later in the kitchen. Just, just remember all of those, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue. But yes, I, think I know st- where you're going, and I might have dug my own grave here. <laughs> Absolutely, you 100 percent have. But seriously though, like it was a blockbuster trade. It was a big deal. Oh yeah. Um, from my point of view, I'm very glad the Sixers did not get rid of a lot of really young assets for James Harden. And, you know, add on the draft picks too. It just is a recipe for disaster, in my opinion, yeah. even with Joel Embiid having such a great year. But after that, that is basically everything we have for NBA. We hope Karis LeVert gets healthy. Uh, Victor Oladeep on the Rockets is weird. Actually, I going back to that trade, I do think the Nets could have done themselves one better if they, instead of fire sailing like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, they got rid of Kyrie Irving and then threw in some picks. I think that would have been a perfect trade, but I'm sure the Rockets would rather uh, throw themselves at a window instead of <laughs> taking on Kyrie Irving with John Wall. But There are somehow more question marks around Kyrie Irving than there were James Harden, and that is one of my biggest issues with it, but, you know, I had my time. so <laughs> That's fair. Kyrie Irving, still MIA, you know, was at a family birthday party, ignoring COVID restrictions. I will say, though, and I'm not the biggest Kyrie supporter. Everyone knows that. I know you aren't either. Look, we all need to be safe during this time. But from my understanding, it's a family birthday party. Like, I don't know. Part of me is like, he should be wearing a mask. But I feel that this punishment and fine were a bit, like, they were trying to set an example is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I will say this. If he made the conscious decision to play basketball, to play in the NBA, it's his fault. Sure. But, but like you, you do it, you know, if it was truly a family event, like the NBA has to understand that these players are not just players. They're human beings first, you know, Kyrie needs to be smart. He needs to pay attention to how many, you know, what he's doing, how many people are there, if he's wearing a mask, stuff like that, because, you know, his decisions affect more than just himself and his family. They affect the entire league, the entire Brooklyn Nets franchise. 
he has to be able to remember those things. But also, you know, he went to a family member's birthday party. I would have skipped an NBA game to go to a family's birthday party. Like, it's just one of those things, man. Yeah. So is that it for basketball? Got. Yeah. Well, at least NBA. Still got a little bit of basketball to go all through right. here. Uh, a little bit on college. Um, first of all, wanted to shout out Mac McClug. If you follow college basketball, you got to know that name. The Texas Tech transfer hit a beautiful game-winning three over rival Texas just last week. Just wanted to give that man a shout out. He is balling in his first year in Texas Tech. Horns down, um, baby. No, no, no. If he's going to go decide to go to the NBA quite yet, but uh, either way, making a name for himself. And the other big news was, so Michigan, we talk a lot about Iowa here leading the Big Ten, but Michigan was actually the last undefeated Big Ten team left. And there was a lot of talk in the morning today about how Michigan was going to get, you know, they had beaten a bunch of top 25 teams by close to 20 points. They were going to be the number one overall seed if they made it out of this week undefeated. They didn't. They didn't just get beat by Minnesota this afternoon. They got slapped. I think it was like 75 to 57. So Michigan I would be very surprised if they even cracked the top 10 after that loss. So with just two undefeated teams, Gonzaga and Baylor left in the top 25. um, Do you think we will see Gonzaga get overtaken or is it just going to still be the the Bulldogs riding high? Uh, It's going to come down to if they can be the last undefeated team, like they won't get usurped until they lose. And it, it's going to come down to a coin flip if you think Baylor or Gonzaga is going to lose first. I tend to believe Baylor will lose first just from being in the Big 12 and a little bit probably more difficult schedule with conference play. But, you know, it's not really going to matter come tournament time. Like, they'll still probably get a one seed barring anything disastrous. Yeah, nope. I, I'm with you there. They have uh, – I forget the name of the, uh, the writer, but there was this writer who's done the top 25 college basketball players for the last few years now. And where he did put Luca Garza from Iowa at number one, he said he had never in his history doing that list had to put four players from the same starting lineup in the top 25. And that's what happened with this year's Gonzaga team. There were four players in their starting lineup in the top 25 players this year. That doesn't just happen. That, that To me, as big of an Iowa fan as I am, Gonzaga is like by far the best team right now in college basketball, despite only being, you know, a game ahead of Baylor. I mean, he must have started right before the Fab Five, to be honest. Honestly. Um, but, I mean, even a few years ago with the Duke team, like, I don't think you could have put four members of a lineup in the top 25. You know, Zion, R.J. Barrett, maybe Barrett. Cam Reddish. Trey Jones, I don't think, would crack that. But I was even thinking that uh, – what was it? Was it the Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Terrence Jones team that had, like, five first-round picks? Yeah, but I feel like – I feel like three, like AD would make it. Michael Kidd, Gilchrist definitely would have been on there. But after that, I feel like you could have, yeah, it would have been iffy. Kind of tail off a bit. That's fair. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's, so that, that's where we're at at college basketball right now. The top five is in order Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, Texas, and Iowa. Um, you know, new rankings will come out next week, but that's where we're sitting at. Uh, moving on with some kind of the quick reports here. we got a little bit for the MLB. We're just going to rifle off some of the uh, news for that. Alex, if you want to start? Yeah. So might as well start with the Yankees who decided to come out of left field. No pun intended. I promise there was no pun intended that time. And just make a few splashes. They re- they. It seems like they've re-signed DJ LeMahieu. And then on top of that, they signed Corey Kluber. So they have bolstered their starting lineup now with Garrett Cole and Kluber. 
and then a few other pitchers scattered in there. And then you got DJ LeMayu, who's been doing super well since last year. Then you got JT Real Mudo, our boy. And the Phillies finally made an offer to him. Five years, nine figures, so $100-plus plus million you know, probably about 104 109 give or take. So I am happy they made an offer. I tend to believe he will accept it because at this point, I don't think there's a better offer from a – you know, the situation is lining up, same team. They're building something there. We like the Phillies. It's a no-brainer for him to sign. And then, of course, Chicago. Chicago White Sox. Uh, not the Cubbies. Had, White Sox. Yeah, not the Cubbies this time. They went ahead and decided to, after having a pretty good year, you know, a little bit disappointing in the playoffs, they decide to sign Liam Hendricks, a closer right-hand pitcher. Three years, $54 million. It definitely helps them out with relieving help, and I think that's a great signing. It definitely puts them in contention again, but definitely makes them the best team in Chicago, hands down. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cubs making the moves that they have might have already set that in stone, but Liam Hendricks, I believe he was with the Athletics last year, two years ago maybe, Um he is a very, very good reliever. He comes in, he throws the ball real hard. He knows what he's doing. He, he's kind of got, got this plan when he gets in the game. He's really good. That's the one of those that really stuck out to me. You know, the only reason JT doesn't is because he hasn't actually agreed to it yet. You know, fingers crossed. And then the, the other thing, I was reading a little bit about Kluber and the Yankees are kind of taking the the chance that he comes back to Cy, the, the Cy Young level. My issue is like, I think Kluber could be better than he has been in the last year or so, but you know, you're playing at Yankee Stadium. That's a pretty short stadium. Like, it's pretty easy to hit home runs, at least to the one, one side of the outfield. That's tough for a pitcher to find a lot of success and a lot of consistent success there. So, like, especially with someone like Kluber, who it's, who it's you don't really know what you're going to get out of him. That's a little more risky, in my opinion. But either way, I respect them, you know, trying to take the flyer out on him. I mean, it's a one-year deal. Yeah. It's, not, it's not the end of the world. It definitely helps. I mean – Araldis Chapman is still going to probably blow a save and you're going to lose in the ALDS. <laughs> Sorry, Yankees fans, but it's been happening every year for the past three years. So, I you mean, know. you basically, you keep your core lineup intact. You still got your sluggers, your heavy hitters. I mean, y- you have a great core. You just really need to kind of execute this year, to be honest. Like, I mean, last year with the Rays, they really couldn't score runs when they needed to, and they just the Rays were hot at the right time, but they're still a scary team. I I agree that, you know, that division is always one you have to talk a lot about. Um, Speaking of, you know, the Red Sox just brought back Raf Devers, you know, I'm so scared of the Red Sox. I was about to say, even a team like that who had a terrible year, you know, you you can never just like shun the White Sox. You have to, or Red Sox, excuse me, you have to assume that they're going to be at least trying to contend if it's possible. So, you know, that's a competitive division, but the Rays haven't, really lost anything besides Blake Snell, right? Yeah. I mean, Blake Snell is a huge part of that team. Right, they've right. kept, they've kept their core intact. Also, I refuse to talk any more about the Red Sox ever Fine. since they got rid of Clay Buckholtz. Refuse. Oh, dude. At the very least, the Phillies got a good, terrible year out of Clay Buckholtz. So <laughs> garbage year to Clay Buckholtz. Clay <laughs> it Buckholtz. was amazing when we signed him. Cause I, I was, you know, he, he's just like a, a meme for us. And uh, this one day I just was on fantasy baseball. I was like, wait, Alex, Clay Buckholtz is a Philly. <laughs> Yeah, I guess to backtrack here, Clay Buckholz is probably my favorite baseball player of all time because my freshman year when I first met Robbie in high school, we did a fantasy baseball league, 
And I hate fantasy baseball and basketball because you have to check your lineup constantly instead of, you know, football, you do it once a week. I will say, though, I was able to win a ton of games and some playoff matchups because Clay Buckholtz was in my lineup and I picked him up off the waiver wire and he just inexplicably had a phenomenal year. So props to me, I guess. I don't want to try and explain to our listeners how much of our bias is based off of fantasy sports. So I'm just going to move on into the NFL from here. Of course. And this Uh, is action packed. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's a lot to go around the NFL. So obviously, you know, the Monday after the season concludes is Black Monday. It's when most teams fire their their head coaches. And we're going to start with some of this head coach drama before we get to the postseason matchups. We are going to start by giving ourselves a nice little pat on the back here because I believe it was not just two weeks ago. It was even just last week. We can... Uh, we were saying that there was this idea that Urban Meyer was going to come out of retirement and become the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. And lo and behold, that is now not just rumor. That is fact. So if anybody listens, you know, we were calling that one a few weeks back. Um, But either way, I think this is a really good signing for Jacksonville. You know, Urban Meyer may not be quite as aggressively intense as he was just because of his own health concerns, but you know what you're getting with Urban Meyer. He's a very, very intelligent football mind. He knows the game uh, inside and out, and you're giving this man the number one overall draft pick the first year he's coming in. Whether or not that ends up being an Ohio State quarterback is still up for debate, but Urban Meyer, the Jaguars, to me, of what uh, all the coaching uh, hires that we're about to go through, threw him by far the, the top top one. Yeah, and on top of that, the Jaguars, for the most part, are fairly young, so I think that meshes well because they're, for the most part, right at a college kind of still meshes with that college sort of mentality. And also they don't have too much of an ego yet, especially going one to 15. So that's good on them. I guess next we got to talk about Arthur Smith. Yep. Titans OC is now the Falcons head coach. Uh, I don't really have much thought about this other than I know he will be better than Dan Quinn. So congrats to Arthur Smith. I, I agree. Congrats to him but I don't like this signing. And the only reason I don't like the signing is because you hire an offensive coordinator to coach an already pretty good offensive football team. Like the last, since they've made the Super Bowl, the biggest issue with uh, the Falcons has been their inability to play defense. Well, you got to bring in a defensive mind. Backtrack there though. Yeah, maybe, but also their inability to play defense was also compounded by their inability to continue rolling on offense. 28-3 doesn't happen if you're able to get a few first downs, not throw picks. Same with a lot of the blown leads this year. So while, yeah, they need some work on defense, and I think they're going to try and address that this offseason, especially with the rumors that Matt Ryan and Julio potentially may get traded with an offensive mind like Arthur Smith, I think that's a good match, at least tentatively. Yeah, they're going to need a ton of work defensively. But if you're able to continue momentum and keep rolling, I, I do – think that signing is decent that's fair do you think they're gonna bring Gurley back i hope so i love todd Gurley. also 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 a fantasy heartthrob for me yeah i was about to say he i would love him not to be on the falcons so he can really be a fantasy asset because uh the back half of the year he was like he got benched he became the backup running back that's right it was unfortunate ito smith though (laughs) taking over the role um but that's atlanta uh, one more definitive co- head coach signing. That was the lowly New York Jets sign. Uh, Robert Salah, former 49ers defensive coach. I do like this signing, actually. Not just because we share a uh, a first name, 
but because the Jets just need some amount of consistency. And despite their injuries, um, the 49ers are pretty solidly always a good defensive football team. And, and Salah has been a big part of that over the last few years. The Jets, they, they just need to get a base. They need, they just need like a floor. They need just a place to put their feet on the ground. That's just where they need to start. And I think Salah is that good starting point. Yeah, I think his, I mean, watching 49ers games, his intensity really hypes up his players. And I really think that momentum and mojo will go a long way with, you know, how the Jets perform this year. Also, I believe he's the first Muslim coach ever, which is cool. So yeah, that's, just, for him. that's awesome. There we I go. Think, so those, yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, we got to talk about Anthony Lynn got fired. Yep. Uh, the Matt Patricia has been fired. We knew that. There's one other I'm missing. Dougie P. Well, I was going to, I think there's another <laughs> one besides Dougie P. I was going to get sure. to that. I can't recall the last one, but let's say did, did Houston name their head coach yet? No, but I was, ta- I think there was one other, I think there are seven head coaching vacancies at the start, but whatever it may be. Yeah. Doug Peterson got fired right before, actually right after he finished our episode. So as an Eagles fan, you know, I'm sure the world is wondering, what are my thoughts? And well, what has come out, it seems like it was either Doug or Carson and they decided to keep Carson, which I mean, I, I, like I've said, I want to give Carson another year, but I am furious. Doug Glasses Peterson won now. us the Super Bowl. There's a reason he has a statue off. outside the link. Both classes are off. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I am just, you give this guy three years. He goes to two playoff series after a Super Bowl. He has a bad year in a very bad division and you decide he's gone. Okay, fine. But then I start hearing articles like, why was Doug Peterson fired? And why not Howie Roseman? Sounds like Doug Peterson didn't get along with Jeffrey Lurie. Sounds like he was not willing to adjust stuff. And, you know, that's usually happens. That's usually happens at work. That's there's discourse there. But now today there's a Philadelphia Inquirer, Inquirer article about Doug Peterson giving Carson Wentz play calls and Carson Wentz inexplicably killing them at the line or changing it up. And I got to say, I know being a Philly fan requires me to be reactionary. I'm usually fairly calm about this stuff. But God damn it. I know for a fact that Carson Wentz is not a competitor. And this is what bothers me. People have been talking about the fact that, oh, do you build a backup? If you build a statue of the backup outside your stadium, you draft a backup in the draft. Carson Wentz can't compete in these conditions. Shut up. Aaron Rodgers had his replacement drafted in the first round, and he performs at an MVP caliber level. The man is in the NFC Championship right now. Now, granted, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Carson Wentz, definitely not even close to that. But still, he is not a competitor. And I truly believe all these reports about him, you know, just having this ego or just having this Napoleon complex. I mean, he's not short by any means. But I really do believe it. I, I know there are veterans vouching for him, but I truly believe this guy has never experienced an ounce of like competition or shortcomings in sports. And now that he has, he wants to give up. And that, like, as a literal gym class all star, pisses me off to every degree, even though it is my franchise quarterback. That is my rant. I'm with you, man. I am pretty far off of the Carson Wentz bandwagon at this point. And by pretty far off, I mean, I had like, like it, I put my thumb up cause I needed a ride. They passed by and I said, no, I want the next one. <laughs> um, he 
sucked this year. There is no way, there's no excuse other than the general excuses of no offensive line, blah, 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 whatever. But Hertz had some amount of success. Carson Wentz had, in my opinion, zero amounts of success besides the barely wins they were able to muster up. I said it last week. There, it made makes no sense that they fired Doug Peterson. You know, it's the first franchise Super Bowl, and he just outs him for this quarterback who's played terribly over the last two to three years since his main, main major injury. I, I respect Philly for trying to keep Carson because he, you know, the potential when he came into the league was so high. But you mentioned the idea that he hasn't really had to face much, and you're right because he was a division two college football player and he was the best division two college football player, meaning there was nobody competing with him. That was enough of a challenge for him to really have to fight yet to Philly. And he kind of gets drafted onto this already pretty great roster makes the good run at the super bowl. And then when the adversity starts coming in, he's reacting very poorly to it. He, you know, he he's getting mad that the, the backups having more success than him. He's saying that I'm gone. If I'm not the starter anymore, he's, kind of acting like James Harden in the sense of he's demanding a lot of things, but at least with James Harden, there is some real amount of success. James Harden's an MVP, former MVP to back up his demands. Carson Wentz didn't actually win an MVP. He did not lead the Philadelphia Eagles to a Super Bowl. He doesn't have that kind of fight room that maybe other superstars in, in different sports or in the same sport do have. To me, this move made absolutely zero sense. And in my opinion, this should be the start of the Eagles doing a full top to bottom rebuild. My other problem with it, though, like James Harden, while he may be a diva, does come out and actively say things like he very like he was he was like, I want out of Houston, you know, set up the press conference, all that. Carson Wentz, it's like he passes it on to someone and it gets let out these passive aggressive type attacks. And that annoys me, too. Like I wish you would just come out and say it. So Eagles without a coach. There are, you know, definitely a few candidates. Uh, Eric Bieniemy is, you know, kind of the hot one. I would love to have him. I mean, Andy under Andy Reid's tutelage, you know, he definitely deserves a job. I don't know if it'll be the Eagles. I hope it is, but we'll see. Josh McDaniels is apparently another one. That's, you know, I think a good option too. It's a little, it's tricky because you don't know how much it was dependent on Bill Belichick, but I think McDaniel's should be at least deserving of a try. I wouldn't be mad about yeah, that. Signing. Shot. Yeah. The third name that I've really heard is Deuce Staley, former Eagles running back, and uh, he's the running back coach at the Eagles. Now, Deuce Staley, I do not want to be the coach. It's not because – well, actually, no. It's because he's not qualified. He was a running backs coach, and he had a great running back core. Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, two absolute gems. If you want Deuce Staley to succeed, you should make him an offensive coordinator. And I wouldn't be mad if he was the offensive coordinator of the Eagles. I'd say give him a try. But making him the head coach with little to no coaching experience would set me ablaze. Let someone with a bit more experience, a little more tutelage, get in there. Deuce, I hope, gets his chance eventually. But do not make him the head coach because a few guys vouch for him. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, there is something to be said about, you know, being vouched for from guys in, in higher positions. But it's also like, man, if this guy's doing a really good job, but it's it's a minimalistic role, like you said, make him a coordinator first. Make Give him like the secondary type position before you full on be like, OK, you're now in charge of our entire team. It's like if you're on LinkedIn or looking for a job and it's like entry level job, but you need seven to ten years of experience and you're like, wow, I'm not qualified for that. That's like do Staley, but he's still applying to the job. And if I can't get 
my resume to be reviewed by a company. Neither should he. I'm just saying. I don't care how many ins he has. Baker's talking shit about the workforce here too. We'll get to that. You I hate the, the workforce. I hate unemployed. I hate it. I just want my job. We, we, uh, we have this concept to uh, make an episode where we talk about anything but sports, and maybe that would be a topic. So uh, we'll get back to that you know, another time. But, no, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think he should be the guy. Uh, at least of those three, he's very clearly the, the, the least qualified option. So I don't know. Eagle, to me, Philly is just a big mess. Head coach is almost the least of your worries at this point. You got so many roster moves you're going to have to make. Quarterback, offensive line, secondary. You got a lot to work on. Good luck. And I hope you guys do hire a good head coach. <laughs> hey, man. It's okay. We'll get through Dual it. Back on. Love to see it. A um, little bit more on the coaching front. Um, I'm just going to mention the Pittsburgh stuff. Um, you know, for any, any of my faithful Steelers fans out there, we did fire three coaches. No head coach. You know, Mike Tomlin's job is pretty safe at this point. He's one of the better coaches in the history of the league. Uh, but the offensive coordinator, gone. The offensive line coach, gone. The defensive back coach, gone. All three of those positions for Pittsburgh are out. There are no, no real rumors of who's going to pick them up. Um, you know, I may report on it. Other than offensive coordinator, it's not necessarily the biggest deal. Um, the, the only reason I really want to bring this up is because so uh, Marquise Pouncey has decided to retire. Ben Roethlisberger has essentially said it's the Steelers' decision. Do you want me back or not? I want to come back. Um, but here's my thought. And I don't think this is necessarily going to really happen. This is just the dream scenario in my head is that the Steelers do everything they can to trade for Deshaun Watson. I don't think it's going to happen, but like that dude to me feels like the modern day Ben Roethlisberger. He's the dual threat. He's got the cannon. He does throw a lot of interceptions. I feel like he's the guy that can make everybody start to realize that Juju can be a number one receiver. The guy that can maybe help Deontay Johnson learn how to catch a football can remind everybody that Eric Ebron isn't as bad as I slandered him for last week. I I, I hope, I think Deshaun Watson is so underused on Houston. I think no matter where he goes, whether it's Miami, uh, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, anywhere, he's going to find more success than he did in Houston. But like the dream as a Steelers fan is having him under center. I actually have a better take than that. Oof. Eagles hire Eric Bieniemy, and they trade Carson Wentz and their first round pick for Deshaun Watson. And if I, I'm on, Houston, I wouldn't sniff that trade, but it's amazing I, for Eagles. If you throw in maybe a few more picks, I think Houston definitely considers it. And I think depending on how high they are on Carson Wentz, which look, as much as I was shitting on him earlier, the dude was an injury away from having an MVP season. Yeah. So, Who would you rather have, just not not as an eagle necessarily, just as a franch- franchise, Tua or Wentz? <laughs> that's, that's such a, that's such a loaded question. Oh boy, I'm saying Tua just for the sense of he's younger and there is no like there, there there's no stories coming in there. There's no you know none of this Kyrie Irving type nonsense around circulating around him he's just a young guy who had a tough rookie year i don't know dude despite the fact that carson Wentz had a bad year you're still throwing for more yards than tua you're not wrong you're not just wrong. needs to eliminate interceptions and i think he's a better qb than tua so i'm gonna say, say carson Wentz. i don't think either of them are ideal options at this point. no not at all so <laughs> cool glad we're on the same page there but uh all right so that if i am not mistaken is all of the head coach or uh coaching in general news yeah Going on in the NFL, you know, there's some rumors about who char- the Chargers and other teams are going to sign. But for now, that is the definitive stuff. And now we have a few playoff games. Um, so one game for the second round of the playoffs has concluded. That was the Green Bay Packers defeated the uh, Rams. You know, Walford was out. Goff, shaky, not fully healthy. 
Um, and, a, and a good 99-yard performance for Aaron Jones. Uh, also scored a touchdown. Adams got in the end zone. Green Bay, they're looking strong. You know, it's a still, you know, the offense wasn't the best for, for the Rams, but the defense is still stout and the Packers held their own. They're still your, they still your team to go to the Super Bowl. In the NFC. Yeah. I will say that Jared Goff and the Rams did play pretty well. Like the Packers easily outmatched them. They were, I think a pretty reasonable third down stop away from actually tying the game. And, you know, they didn't, and then Aaron Rodgers bombed the ball, ball to Lazard, I believe. So mm. that happens. And, you know, the Packers just outplayed them. But the Rams, for the most part, kind of kept pace with them. So, yeah, right now it's definitely the Packers. Yeah. Uh, they, they looked strong. Again, you know, question marks with the Rams. But either way, Green Bay handled their business, and that's always important. The other game going on right now is Bills versus Ravens. Um, I don't know if you have a score update for us, um, but it was you know zero zero when we started this uh, this episode here. Yes, before the we started the episode before the game started, and it did start zero zero. So congratulations on that comment. I'm smart. No handicaps. Okay, I will say right now it's three nothing Buffalo. I believe it's going to be three three at half because the Ravens are at the Buffalo 16 yard line. What I will say is interesting. Justin Tucker has doinked a field goal. He also missed one earlier. So he's missed two field goals in this game. Overrated. Justin Tucker is not overrated by any means. The man has missed three kicks this entire (laughs) year. I I hate the Ravens. Everybody on the Ravens is overrated. All right. So it's three, three. So Justin Tucker is one for three now. And we're in halftime. There you go. So um, personally, I think the bills are going to end up pulling away in that one. Um, But, you know, either way, that team will be facing the winner of Cleveland versus Kansas City, which will go down tomorrow. One of the two games, you know, I'm not going to talk ill of Cleveland at this point after what happened to my team last week. However, I will I will be more impressed than Cleveland beating Pittsburgh that if Cleveland beats Kansas City. And I think the uh, the world is on my side for that one. Yeah, I think KC will win, but I actually do think the Browns will cover that game. It's a 10 point spread. I can see it being a touchdown, but I don't, I two touchdowns. I feel like the Browns are going to garbage time or something. This is just my opinion. I want to unfortunately denounce some things that my team has said. A lot of the Steelers players have just been like ridiculing Cleveland saying they handled all the, you know, they, they were obnoxious to the Steelers making fun of them. And first of all, the Steelers did the exact same shit leading up to the game. So like walk the walk and talk the talk. You can't have it both ways. And also just, like, man, this is a this is a football team that beat you when it mattered. Obviously, you weren't your full form team, but like, dude, you have no room to talk about it. Like, I am beyond devastated that the Steelers lost to the Browns, but I have accepted it and I have admitted that I was wrong in my my slander of Cleveland. But Chase Claypool, Juju Smith Schuster, a lot of these other Steelers haven't. They just still think that it was just this random fluke. And I'm just like, guys, look, even if it was a fluke, you still blew it. You still lost accept it, move on, man. It just, geez, if Cleveland wins a Super Bowl, like I'm just, they're I'm, so I'm gonna, starred of a Super Bowl. Come on. Don't, hate. I just feel like, I feel like my, all of my football opinions will be completely invalidated. If Cleveland wins the Super Bowl, there's a reason I have an episode called the Browns are going to the Super Bowl. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Cause we really did think the Browns were good. Yeah, I get, man, this is just it's so new to me. It's just, I'm learning new things, how to accept Cleveland as a, as a top-tier football program as one of them. But um, either way, I do wholeheartedly think that the Chiefs are going to handle it. I obviously think the Chiefs are going to end up winning the Super Bowl. I've said that before, but 
That's one of the matchups tomorrow. The other would be Tampa Bay versus New Orleans. Possibly the most competitive just between like the two teams being even in, in talent and skill. And, and, you know, obviously now the winner gets to place Aaron Rodgers. At this point, with, with all the injuries, COVID, the, the playoffs moving on, who, which of these two teams has the better chance to beat Green Bay? The Bucs, because they did it already. What mm-hmm. I will say, though, the fact we're going to get either Rodgers-Breeze or Rodgers-Brady NFC Championship game is, like, just a wet dream to any sports <laughs> fan. Uh, what I will say, though, Rodgers-Brady is significantly better of a matchup, and I would love to see that. I'm not saying the game overall would be better, but, like, Rodgers-Brady, that just billing is awesome. Yeah. No, that I mean, no matter what, you have two – Hall of Fame quarterbacks going up against each other in the NFC Championship, which is awesome. But man, you get Brady, who's pretty much the unquestioned GOAT quarterback at this time, versus Aaron Rodgers, who maybe is the best argument against Tom Brady. Like, that's awesome, dude. That that's yeah. that's every sports fan's dream. Like you said, you know, wet dream, maybe, but it is a lot of people who have crushes on Brady. Well, hold on. Here's here's actually a fun stat. So before today's game, the four quarterbacks left in the NFC were Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, and Goff. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those guys, for the most part, are really old, except for Goff. Goff, though, if he was in the AFC, would be the oldest quarterback still left in the playoffs. <laughs> That's nuts. I know. <laughs> yeah, the AFC ones being Baker, Mayfield, Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen. I don't think there's more than four years of experience on that end. Nope. Jeez, that is... Wow, that's awesome. We've got the, the, the age versus the youth. We're going to come down to the Super Bowl. We could have this Patty Mahomes, Tom Brady, or Aaron Rodgers like clash of the young versus the old. Is this the, the, uh, the, the new echelon of football entering? Who knows? I mean, it's going to be. It has to be. It does. It has Even to. Rodgers is 35 plus. Yeah, no, this, this isn't necessarily any of these older quarterbacks last year's, but. You know, the, the clock's ticking. There's only so much more you can do. Yeah, the only one who I think is done after this year is Breeze. Yeah, that, that's going to be the interesting one. But even though still, like, Ben Roethlisberger hasn't even come out and officially retired. So that makes me think, like, maybe Breeze, maybe Rivers, maybe some of these old guys, they're going to stick around. Well, let me break some news to you. Uh, ben Roethlisberger has said he wants to play next year. So That's what I said. He's, he, he put the ball in the Steelers' court. He says, I want to play. It's up to you guys. Uh, but I will say the Steelers do have a history of forcing players out. They forced Rupal Mali to retire. They forced Hines Ward to retire. They basically said they uh, they did this with James Harrison, but James Harrison actually opted to just get cut. The Steelers say when you're at a certain point in your career, we will cut you or you will retire. And most of the time the player chooses to retire, James Harrison being the one uh, outlier he chose to sign with the Bengals. No, it's the Patriots? Random thought. But what? Wasn't the Patriots? Bengals, then Steelers, then Patriots. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I would, okay. I talked about this with one of my older brothers. Who's also a Steelers fan. We want Roethlisberger to retire. Good. Unless the starting quarterback is Mason Rudolph. Do not want Mason. And that's pretty clear. If you ask any Steelers fan, like Mason Rudolph should never be the Steelers starting quarterback. That being said, I did ask for him to come in at halftime of that Steelers Brown game because Ben Roethlisberger was playing like dick. But again, I don't need to rehash that one. So if I if I'm not mistaken, that is our report for the NFL. That's it. All right. So we are going to do yet another hot take debate. 
Um, this one kind of something we've already started to discuss. Um, it's a little weird to word, but essentially the crux of it is if the Nets win the championship, where do you see Kevin Durant in the terms of legacy among all time greats? How does it affect his career, his legacy? I'll let you start. How do you, how do you feel a, a Brooklyn Nets championship would, would affect Durant? I think Kevin Durant may need a few more titles, but Kevin Durant should be held in the highest of regards and should be considered in the upper echelon of NBA players, much like LeBron James. That is my argument. Okay. Care to rebuttal? <sighs> yeah. How do I, okay. So I believe that Durant is the best individual scorer that the NBA has ever seen. And Correct. I don't think it's debatable. I think Jordan could be debatable, but continue. I think, okay, fine. But like, it's hard to compare those two because had Jordan had to shoot as many threes as Durant, then maybe my statement would be different, but. Durant can hit from the logo forward. So I'm going to stick with Durant there. Um, I am getting closer and closer to agreeing with the statement that he is on the same pedestal as a LeBron or a Jordan. I don't think he's quite there. And I don't think it's necessarily championships that are going to put him over the top. I do think it's, and I don't even know if it's accolades really. It's just like, it's just dominance. Can you constantly be the number one seed? Can you make the playoffs, make finals appearances as as often as LeBron or Jordan or Kareem did? And that's really important. But then you have to talk about who he's making the championships with. So, you know, we talk about how he made the finals with that Thunder team. Durant was the best player on that team, but they were a little too young to really win that championship. They had to face a tough Heat team. The next two times he makes the championship, or three times actually, he makes the finals. They're with this all-time great, maybe the best team of all-time Golden State Warriors. And a lot of people, myself included, tend to denounce those championships. That being said, you cannot take away the fact that Kevin Durant has won two championships. It doesn't matter who those players are with him. He won them. And two finals MVPs. Exactly. He was the best player on the court, despite the fact, despite all of the factors making it easier for him, he was the best player on the court. And that included, and is not limited to, LeBron James. That being said, there is a difference if the only championships you win are with these star-studded teams. You know, we saw LeBron go to Miami to win his first two championships, and we were like, okay, he's not as good as Jordan. He has to go win these championships with his big three, despite the fact that nobody realizes Jordan never won a championship without a big three. I won't get into that. That's not the debate. But then LeBron James went back to Cleveland, and then LeBron James went to L.A., and the L.A. team was better than the Cleveland team, but more or less the Cleveland one was as close as LeBron was ever going to get to winning a championship by himself. He had Kyrie love was hurt a decent core, but still had another star Durant's won two with the warriors. And now he has this Harden, Kyrie and, and whatever you want to make of Deandre Jordan and the rest of the roster team where I don't think this team's as good as that warriors team, where I don't think James Harden is Steph Curry by any means. The, the general population is going to look at this championship in the same way. It's like Kevin Durant didn't have to do a whole lot. He got these two superstar playmakers, these other two superstar store scores. Um, you know, people have been giving crap to their bench, but you know, efficiency wise, their bench isn't that bad outside of Deandre Jordan. And it's stuff like that. It's if Durant never is the like, you know, I don't think either of us would, would have a hard time saying Durant's the best player on this team, even with Harden, but he's not now anymore. The clear cut, best superstar on the team. And that's the thing that gets me with Durant and his legacy. It's you're never going to be LeBron or Jordan in the sense of you're the 100% reason this championship's happening because, you know, when he went to golden state, sure. They lost the year before to golden state, but they had the best record of all time in the regular season. And the year before that they won without Durant against the same Cavs team more injured again, but it's just this idea of, 
too too much going on for Durant to be noticed out of everything else. Okay. Well then let's talk. So they went 73 and nine, you know, one of the best runs of all time. I feel like while it was a great team, a lot of that could be contributed to the fact that they really caught the league by storm, really amped up the whole idea of three point shooting. Steph Curry was unanimous MVP for a reason. He caught absolute fire into the playoffs. So not to say it was a fluke, but like, I think it was more of a product of the times. And, you know, I don't think that team going up against the way the NBA is right now would win a championship more or less wouldn't go 73 and nine. But so this idea that Kevin Durant may not be the best player in his teams. I'm not going to argue the fact that him going to the Warriors kind of a shady move. I mean, you're still going to a team with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. It's a stacked team, even at the time. But Michael Jordan, while I hold him as the GOAT, was still surrounded by great talent. Scottie Pippen, you know, always is the number two guy, but allegedly the guy was one of the best players in the league, and some of you consider him the second best player in the league when Jordan was there. So, you know, while people may consider that a knock on Jordan, call me hypocritical, let's look at LeBron. I'm not saying what LeBron did was bad either, but LeBron decided after getting, you know, beat up by the Spurs or Magic or just all his time in Cleveland, he's like, I want out. He goes to Miami, forms a big three with Chris Bosh, who at time, all-star, great player, power forward center, and then who you hold to such high standards as Dwayne Wade, one of the best shooting guards of all time. Am I mistaken, right? Oh, oh, oh in my opinion, he is much higher than anybody else. <laughs> but yes, I, I agree. Yes. But like still, the anyone wouldn't disagree with the fact that this man was a baller. He got points mm-hmm. and he really was a really, really integral part to them winning two titles there. Now, on top of that, they also signed Ray Allen, but that's kind of a, just a side note. And that's why they didn't start Ray Allen until like the finals, but yeah, I got But he was still there. And we all knew Ray Allen adding to that team was like, okay, stop. Was no Kevin Durant level stuff, but you got the out to Allen, his three pointer. Bang. I could literally listen to that all day. I agree. Now you saying, oh, Kevin Durant is on a team with Kyrie Irving, James Harden, you know, superstars in my opinion. But Robbie, like 30 minutes ago, you were just denouncing how much of a negative side effect playing with James Harden is. This man, bad leader. He is a toxic player to be with. All this. That's more of a drawback than a positive, even if he can score 30 points a game. So you'd have to agree that Kevin Durant was going to have to give an arm and a leg and basically will this pile of toxic shit to win the NBA finals. They may have the talent, but will they mesh? No. So what I'm getting at is, you know, Kevin Durant, best player on two incredible Warriors teams. And on top of that, his biggest challenge lies ahead with this title. I'm not saying LeBron is undeserving of being considered goat. No, I mean, the man has done so much for the career and his legacy undisputed, but Kevin Durant is the one player besides Kawhi who I've always seen get the best LeBron with the exception of, you know, the 2012 when he was super young, just always seems to be better than him and always one step ahead. And I don't think this year is going to be any different. And even with a stacked roster, you know, we've talked about how stacked this Lakers team is. So 
uh, yeah, I think Kevin Durant can be considered a better NBA basketball player than LeBron James if you were to win the same amount of titles, especially if he wins one with this Nets team. Man, I don't want this to sound like a shot at all because I value anybody's opinion, but that's obnoxious. Um, right. And here, here's my rebuttal. Here's my rebuttal. You need a big three to dominate. You do not need a big three to win. You know, we saw Jordan win six titles because he had the big three. He never really had a competition tough enough to be better than him. LeBron and his big three, we saw them win two out of four because there was no real team besides that Spurs team at the end of LeBron's heat era better than him. We didn't really see the Warriors lose. They just fell apart. But every once in a while, for just one season, you do in fact see a player with no real other superstar on his team win a championship. And I'm not saying the team is crap and the superstar is doing everything. But we saw Dwayne Wade win a championship as the clear-cut superstar. We saw Kawhi Leonard win a championship as a clear-cut superstar. We've seen LeBron James make championships as the only real superstar on his team. My thing becomes here is Durant has never had you know, there's something to be said about how Durant is the best player on these all-time great teams. But there's also something to be said about the fact that Durant has never had to really will a team this way. And this is, this one is going to be a lot closer than most people think because the general populace believes that James Harden is this God-tier offensive player. I don't. So you are, in fact, allowed to use my own argument against me because I don't think that this is all that difficult for Kevin Durant. Meaning, when he doesn't win the NBA championship, I personally will think that your argument for him being better than LeBron will never, ever, ever be able to be valid again if he does not win the championship this year. Because the roster, despite how little I think of it, is very talented. No matter what version of James Harden you get. I don't know if they're definitively better, more talented than the Lakers. I actually don't think that they are. What? No, stop. Depth-wise. What are you talking about? Their depth on Brooklyn is a bunch of guys besides you know Jeff Green who haven't Green. been very far in the playoffs. The Lakers are all players who have been far in the playoffs. That's what they've done. That's what they've built. Okay, but like, I honestly I think Dennis Schroeder is overrated. I'm gonna be honest. Oh, that's, I agree I, with that. He's having a rough year. I mean, but that's that's not even a byproduct of the year. I don't think he's that great. I mean, Montrezl Harrell, like, eh. Anthony Davis, I think is just gonna get clowned by Kevin Durant to be honest. And then you got like. You, you know, even Kevin Kevin Durant can cover LeBron effectively. You know, you're gonna have to kind of contain AD, but just I don't know with the way the world is and the way the Nets are, like Kevin Durant is gonna have to will this team to victory despite how talented they are. And if he gets to that point where he plays LeBron, I truly do think you're gonna see LeBron. If the Lakers win the championship against them, it's gonna have to be AD and not LeBron. I'm going to only agree with that in the sense of they don't really have anybody that can guard AD. You know, AD is going to struggle to guard Durant or, you know, what you don't guard Durant. You just slow him down as much as you possibly can. Um, But the thing is DeAndre Jordan, as solid of a center as he is, if the Lakers go back to that small ball lineup, like they did last year, he's not going to be able to handle Anthony Davis. So I I agree in the sense that this is going to start being less about LeBron, more about Davis but the leader will always be LeBron. The leader will always, he will be the one bringing the ball. You know, he's their point guard. That's part of it. But he's also the emotional one. He's the one who's been there the whole time. He's the one who can tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. If you're, if you need to be doing something better, that is still for me, the main difference between LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and any other player in basketball is they were able to pinpoint exactly what needs to be done. Durant, can physically do anything you need him to do. There is nothing he can't do. No position. He can't play no player. He can't guard no shot. He can't make. 
But when you're talking about making your non-superstar teammates better, I'm not saying Durant doesn't do it. I'm not saying he doesn't do it at an elite level. But if we're talking about him being better than LeBron James, better than Michael Jordan, it's not even it's not it's not comparable because Durant hasn't been able to elevate him by himself quite yet. And you know that's, I, wild. that's why I'm so intrigued by this I, this matchup with Harden because if he can turn Harden into the superstar that the world believes James Harden to already be, then that is when your argument takes its full swing because then it's like oh shit, James Harden did something that LeBron or excuse me Kevin Durant did something that LeBron James would never even dare to try, and that was turn a shitty like toxic superstar into one of the best teammates in the NBA. And you know what? You're right. He doesn't make players around him all that much better. But you know what the funny thing is? He can still kick people's asses and kick it <laughs> just so badly, even without doing that. And that's what's terrifying. Yeah, no, he... Oh, man, if you're telling me who you, who you want to see in a dark alley last, LeBron or Durant, it's neither. But, like, Kevin Durant can do things on the court that, like, we take for granted because of how, like, just often we see players, like, that athletic and such. But, man, Kevin Durant is special there's no way around that and the fact that we're even able to have this conversation to to finally get another player that we you know from our era that we can really start talking about with the jordans and lebrons is special in its own right it really is gonna you know be seen how many more championships he can win who those championships are with but like he is as close as anybody has ever gotten i don't think Kawhi is at this level i don't think he ever really was at this level but this this is the closest thing we've had to another number one tier superstar the, you know this debate really becomes can he push himself into that fully i just want people to understand and this like kind of is the crux of my argument that while kevin durant won two titles on a very stacked team and i get how annoying that is believe me i played rec basketball where the entire odds are stacked against you in a league <laughs> the fact that he is not given enough credit for his basketball play when this man is basically, if you took LeBron James and shoved him with Steph Curry in terms of what he can do on the court, he can shoot the three ball. He can basically will his way to the basket and can do everything in between. Just, he is such a special player. And while his two titles may, yeah, may have came with a stacked team. Do not, and I repeat, do not disrespect his place in history as one of the best basketball players of all time. Yeah. No, Thank you. None of that here. None of that here. Um, well, I think I've gotten my point across. Any, anything else you'd like to add here before we wrap this, uh, this debate up? Uh, well, I guess this is sort of a message to my future self when <laughs> let's assume that's Lakers finals. I would like the Sixers to obviously beat them, but who knows what's going to happen between now and then. Actually, you know what? I take on split second. I think the only team that can beat the Nets in the East is the Sixers. That's an interesting take. I see. Hmm. My my immediate thought after that Harden trade was I've never been more confident that the Milwaukee Bucks were going to the NBA Finals. I don't necessarily think the Bucks are the most like by far best team in the East. I just feel I do agree in the sense that maybe the Sixers could be the only team to beat them, but I also think the Nets might be the only team able to beat the Sixers. If a fully healthy Sixers, the Sixers look good this year outside of Ben Simmons shooting nine shots a game for whatever reason. Um, you know, we might get to Ben Simmons in a later week because he's been pissing me off. Sure, but sure. sorry, I just went off a of Ben Simmons tangent. <laughs> There's those two, but Milwaukee, you know, you have Giannis, you have the new pieces they brought in, but they've been their their offense is tough 
to stop the Heat figured it out enough to beat them last year. And I, I last year I was talking about how I think the only other team besides the Heat that could have beat them was the Sixers. I don't think the Nets can beat them. I really don't. I think their defense is awesome. But I think, you know, if if Middleton, if Holiday, if their shooters are hitting, if Giannis isn't taking seven threes, they don't have a guy that can guard Giannis. Durant's not an elite level defender. He's a body that can, you can put on him, but he's the only player on that entire team you can really feel comfortable putting on Giannis. And that's a scary thing because let's, what, not what, an elite defender. Let's play a game. Let's assume all teams are both healthy. Okay. Giannis on Durant. Sure. Right. <sighs> Jeez. But that's that's the matchup, right? Yeah, no, that's that's the that's the fours. Who got who is Drew Holiday guard? Drew takes Harden. Okay. Yes. Let's play a game. Who gets Kyrie? Kyrie is the Irving? one that if Kyrie's going rampant, he, he, he like you don't want it to happen, but it's the one you live with. I I think rampant though is still thirty a game, and that's not what you want. Because exactly think- that's the thing. Like these players, these three have such high chances to score thirty points. I think. The only other thing I could think is Harden because if you catch Harden on one of his inefficient shooting nights, he is the one that like he'll get a you know close to a triple double regardless. But like if you catch Harden on one of these five and nineteen nights, that's the way you win in a series against them. That's how you you know, you force Harden into taking the shots he's less comfortable with, forcing him to be the scorer rather than letting him just facilitate the offense. Um, I still put Holiday on Harden because as much as I slander Harden, he's in my opinion better than Kyrie Irving. Um. But I mean, I'm also just, I love Drew Holiday, but I think he's a little overrated still anyway. So, like, I don't think it matters all that much. But the, the things to me are, are if Durant's on on Giannis, who's on Middleton? And can Jeff Green actually do anything on defense in the playoffs? Because he's the one they're going to play down the stretch, not Jordan. Sure. Uh, time will tell for Joe Harris, but I think Joe Harris still has a matchup problem with Middleton. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the other thing. Is like, that, that, But that's the big thing. The Heat showed the best way to beat the Bucks is play zone. If they do that, they might be fine. But they're, they're not an individual defensive team. If they try and guard that team, man, I really do think the Nets would get run out of the building by the Bucks. Agree to disagree, but time will tell. I think the big thing, though, is for this argument, just everyone should not consider big threes to be all that bad. Like I know the Nets have a stacked three, and I get that. And maybe they're not as good as everyone, you know, has them out to be, especially on paper. But all of your favorite superstars, all of the people you consider goats, did it one time or other. Even Kareem, if you consider him the goat, having Magic Johnson, James Worthy, AC Green, had a Kurt Rambis, that that lineup was filthy, and there was no being that. Larry Bird, same thing. Stretch of dominance from any one individual team required a big three that's what i was saying with you need a big three to dominate but not to win you can see a team come out and randomly win a championship but you do not see a team just come out and randomly win three championships in a row that doesn't happen that's where the big three has always been a part of basketball it just comes more prevalent now because of media highlighting all these moves these trades i promise you if twitter was this big of a thing back in the jordan big three era we'd have been talking just as much about how much we hate three superstars playing on the same team difference with Chicago is they drafted them more so than traded and signed, which was a little nicer, but either way. Yeah. Big, big threes are a part of basketball. Whether you like them or not, you do have to accept it. All right. So that's what we got for you this week. Next week, we'll have the rest of the playoff matchups. Another week, uh, the first week of Harden on the nets to talk about. He did play his first game today for them, had a 30 point triple double actually. So I'll eat my words too, but uh, nine turnovers. Remember that one. But either way, plenty to, <laughs> plenty to talk about 
next week. Baseball is getting closer. Hockey has now started and kicked into gear. So as the big news starts to come with that, we'll start reporting on it more as well. Other than that, you know, excited to be back again. And next week we'll have just as much more. I, I won't necessarily take over and, uh, you know, hostile takeover this place, but the Robcast may not be going away just quite yet. So to everyone listening, I hope you have a wonderful day and uh, take care. Thanks for listening. Bye guys.